Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with him to dwell, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We're going to put it back on kick drum then, so if you're going to do that, so we don't need two, we don't need two jingles, but yeah, I'd say definitely, um, do, do, I love those. <laughs> Remember, I'm really greedy, so I want every jingle bells. I want drums. I want chimes. I want cymbals. I want from Jerry Bridges. So, but yeah, if that's okay, let's just try the last verse with the. So I would say probably 65 to 70 is what we're actually hearing. Um, but yeah. Um, okay, so we'll just do um, hail. Okay, and I'm not going to play the drum thing until everybody comes in on the second verse again, since I can remember that. So, okay. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with Loud he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give his second birth. What are you doing? Can you share? Ooh. Did you bring 12 yoke of oxen? And you're going to like slide it on the bonfire? I know. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that. So I have a funny story to tell. Don't ever tell Tom I told you this. Never, 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 ever. So we used to always read bedtime stories to the boys, and I would say, oh, this is what I used to do. Okay, so let's do this. Good one, Lisa. Um, and we had this old school children's illustrated Bible, a big one that was probably from like 1,200 or something. Very, very well illustrated and had pictures on it and so many books. Um, and so one, one of the stories we were reading was about Elijah and Elisha, and this, it's a very famous painting that's in this 
Elisha as he's drawing up in church. Thank you for teaching us that. And as we're reading it, we open to the page, and Tom Dice gives this date, probably a quarter of a century ago. Mom, Jesus, underwear? (laughs) (laughs) And so every time we talk about Elijah and Elisha, we're just like, Mom, Jesus, underwear? You know, it's so cute. And it was just so precious because he was mortified that they would maybe put, like, underwear in an illustrated Bible. So funny. Right, right. But it was the, the drawing, essentially, the story. <laughs> yeah, because who knows? Well, and it's they used to be a like closed a, room. It's right? like, you know, Marvel Comics, you know. Oh, yeah. The cape. Yep. Cape and hood. <laughs> so if you want to borrow my throw thing, that is uh, pretty close to a book. That's a good question to have. Oh, that would be fun. Sometimes. Do you want to practice your Christmas song? Um, yeah. Like toe-toe on the mountain? Yeah. That'll work. Kristen Getty's Christmas concert in Farmington. Tuesday night, yeah, and Wednesday. So I get closer to that. I don't have my phone on me. 
but we'll go through. But if you don't mind, if you think of it, sorry. All right, so go ahead. Tell it on the mountain. We'll wait for Dee, or I guess we can, she can jump in when she gets back. This one is not for this morning, so this is just for fun practice. really any easier to play. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's just his heart all the way around, but it's really fun, you know. So, you want to do it again? Because Dee's here. Because <gasps> Dee's here. Rock-a-doodle. Yeah. Yeah, but this is a, it's a spiritual. I mean, so it's supposed to be very touchy-feely. So, yeah, and this is uh, Pastor Dave's version of it, so I, I take absolutely zero credit whatsoever. So I think slowing it down is going to make it go a little more. When we can do it, because so, I have on the top, jazzy but not too fast, <laughs> and I didn't even...
when it's right, right, and or just just percussion and then yeah. Yeah, that's a mind blower right there. Yeah, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. So, okay. playing it in yes we were playing it in D so we were playing it in C and I can say as many times as you feel like you want to echo um, and if you want to do low medium and high so if this is in the key of G it'll be actually in the key of C, so there's no sharps or flats. Okay. Um, I can give you the chords right now if you want to make a copy. I don't have the lead sheet, I have the chord sheet. Okay. Yeah, it's much easier to have exactly what you need. Right, it's super easy because then you don't need sharps or flats.
arms thing in there, it sounds kind of like Native American-ish. I don't know if that's yeah. weird. Yeah. So, okay. Because yeah. it was just arms and then. Yeah, you're just drawing I don't know, but it was cool, whatever you did. Was it right before the chorus? So, Shippen, do you need me to print you the lead sheet for this EP or? didn't sound weird. I think it was kind of kind of fun, but Oh, there was some in the shower. It's in the main room. It's not working. Yeah. <laughs> so when we're done with this, um, remind me. I'm going to start by you. <laughs> in the men's room. Come on. Come on. That's where we always keep the girls right in the men's room. <laughs> well, the men's room is really funny. If you have to go, it's like, I'm not going in there. You know, I have to go take care of my business first. <laughs> want to do the reading on this one too because it is that that timing and, and and maybe we could do verse one and verse four if there's all four instead of doing all four yeah that four sounds good that be okay? so we're just yeah. well he was going to come in on four oh that's right so maybe verse three and verse four let's do the whole thing let's do the whole thing okay the whole thing okay yeah. shipping shared the whole thing might as well uh, this hymn doubles as a prayer for the first and second coming of Christ. It takes us into the heart of old Israel, longing for the first coming of the Messiah. And it travels forward in time and voices the yearning of the church for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come again and make all things complete, perfect, and good.
just this really angelic, beautiful song. I'm so ah, I love that. actually has it over the word is, but I play it as, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's 
to E7. Because mm -hmm. I'm playing the in the key of E. Fantastic. That is fantastic. It is over there. Yep. Over the over the Jesus.
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Welcome, I'm glad you all are here this morning. This Advent season leading up to Christmas, I titled these series of Advent sermons, The Wonder of Angels. Um, This actually comes from the Apostle Peter in his writing in 1 Peter 1 verse 12, where uh, Peter says, things into which angels long to look. And just think if uh, angels long to look, and what Peter says that they long to look into is the redemption of humanity, the salvation of this whole world. And angels long to look into that. They long to see what God's plan is and how he's going to do it. And Christmas is very much that same kind of wonder, longing to look into how God's going to um, culminate all of his salvation in the return of Christ. And we see it so profoundly in Christmas. Christmas is supernatural. It is in a world where we have made so much about material things at Christmas, there is still a longing, even within the world, for the supernatural. And in Christmas, we have angels bringing good news. And the mention of the angel's name is Gabriel. And last week, we looked at the angel appearing to Zechariah. 
and this barren womb of Elizabeth miraculously bringing forth uh, John, who we would call John the Baptist, and the miracle workings there announced by angels. And today we continue this miraculous announcement to Mary by the same angel, Gabriel, is named here. And we have this supernatural conception and a virgin birth and the mention of this one who would be called Jesus, who would rule on a throne and whose kingdom would last forever. What is this talk of Christmas about this one named Jesus and this one who would rule upon a throne and have a kingdom that would last forever? Those are the two things that I would like to focus on in this message that the angels bring, the angel Gabriel brings to Mary. There's a lot in that text of what he says, but one of them is his name would be called Jesus and that he would have a kingdom that would have no end. I'm wondering, like the angels, I'm longing to look into what possibly some of that would mean. What would it mean that his name would be Jesus and that he would have a kingdom that would have no end? Let's look. First, I want to remind us that Luke is talking and he's giving an orderly account. Luke is a gospel. My dad loved Luke. He loved the beginning of it. He loved uh, that Luke was giving this orderly account. It, it fits towards the Western mind uh, because it's given that way. And Luke says that he's given an orderly account from eyewitnesses. And so he's going to mention a lot of supernatural things, but he's going to put them in the context of, of a historical account. And so again, like he did last week with Zechariah and Elizabeth and who they were and where they lived and where this happened, some of the eyewitnesses around it that knew about this happening, Luke here is giving this account once again and establishing the place And the place here isn't Jerusalem. It's not the big city. It's an obscure little town called Nazareth. So the shifting here of where the angel is appearing is in Nazareth. And it's to a peasant girl named Mary who lives in Nazareth. And so the setting is different. It's obscure. It's... uh, rule. It's maybe obscure as far as the world uh, would consider it being. So how can we have this one who is great, who is to be called Jesus, who is to have a kingdom that lasts forever, come from such obscurity? What is this Christmas story, this announcement from the angel Gabriel the message of God. What can it mean? We see that there was poverty within uh, the family there in Nazareth. We see that when Joseph and Mary in Luke 2 later, they came uh, for the time of purification according to the law of Moses. In Luke 2, 22 through 24, They brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male 
who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now Leviticus in the law said, uh, if you cannot afford, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons. So we see here that Mary could not afford a lamb. God comes to a peasant girl in a obscure town of Nazareth, which is rare. It's not mentioned of having any significance, and also to a girl who can't afford to offer up a lamb for her firstborn son. We see the angel announcing this good news to Mary. In John 1.46, Nathanael said to him, Can any good come out of Nazareth? There was a reputation of Nazareth that it wasn't a place where kings came from. It wasn't even a place where good people came from. Is it known for anything? Could any good come from Nazareth? In God's eyes, the greatest good can come from there. Jesus came in this kind of obscurity and this kind of poverty. You think of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming this way at Christmas time and the wonder of that. The world would have seen pomp and circumstance coming. And there is that in the supernatural realm. There is angels singing, but very few see that. The world is blind to the arrival of this king. Philippians 2.7 says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The miracle and wonder of, Christian, of Christmas that angels long to look into is that the King of Kings, the Word of God made flesh, would come, and as the King James Version said of this scripture in Philippians 2.7, made himself of no reputation. This is Christmas. His arrival was without earthly pomp and circumstance that is known for the arrival of great kings, but his arrival, as far as this world is concerned, is in relative obscurity. King Herod has no idea of it until the Magi show up months to years later when Jesus is already a toddler. And then this announcement, this point that I want to make, one of the two points out of this text is Mary is given the instruction that his name shall be called Jesus. And just meditating on the fame of that name still today is amazing. It's the things that angels long to look into, the wonder and miracle of Christmas and this name, this name of Jesus, just the wonder of that, pondering his name. Jehovah saves Yahweh saves this word of salvation and deliverance that we sing about from captivity. His name shall be called Yehoshua, Yahweh saves. And in Luke 1, 28 through 33, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew 1.21 records this same encounter with Joseph, saying, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus and explains the meaning of this word Jesus, what it means to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is supernatural. It's a deliverance from something that most people don't see as the main ill within humanity, and that is the ill and sickness of sin, the poison that invaded our world through sin and disobedience to God's word. Jesus came to deliver, to rescue, to save. Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born. We need a Savior, Scripture teaches us. Humanity's greatest need is for a Savior, a Savior who will save us from our sins, who will be called Jesus. You can give this world And we've seen periods of time, maybe even the beginnings of our country, a good government tries to balance out power because we realize that power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts completely. We see these things. We try to bring a balance of powers and different types of governments. And we can see that a good government can allow a people to flourish to a certain degree. We see the importance of education in a system that teaches us to be good, and that can have influence in our society. And when we have this rule in good education, many times under a good government, there can be prosperity, there can be a flourishing, and we can have the ability to help do good in the world. But despite all of these goods, we still know that evil persists and corruption seems to invade the very good that we attempt to do through all of these human means. That's why we need more. We need a Savior. We need Jesus, the one who will deliver his people from their sins, a sin that is cunning, powerful, and baffling, a sin that constantly invades the good that we're attempting to try to do. And the answer is in this one named Jesus, the one who will deliver us from our sins. I was talking to Teresa this morning, and I said, you know, I don't know about this sermon. You know, I want to talk about the wonder of angels and the wonder of Christmas and Here I am, the Lord seems to be focusing on our sin. Who wants to focus on that at Christmas? Our failure, the poison that seems to invade every attempt of humanity to accomplish good. It seems to wither and fade. But I think in seeing that, I began to see the hope in a kingdom that will not end. He will rule, and he will rule in kingdom. What does that mean in our second point, a kingdom without end? 
Luke 1, 32, 33, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. What's this talking about thrones and ancient thrones? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom there will be no end. What does that mean to us today? What did it mean to them? What does it mean to you that there will be a kingdom that has no end? What does a throne and a king have to do with the wonder of angels at Christmas and our wonder? Not just any throne or any kingdom, but the throne of his father David and a kingdom without end that will last forever. What is that longing? What is that drive? What is that echo in the mind and thoughts of humanity that still seems to come out in so many veins of society with uh, King Arthur, the legends of that, this uh, Robin Hood with the return of the king. Where is he? Where is King Richard? What is this idea of the great J.R.R. Tolkien culmination of his life's work titled The Return of the King? What is that, that longing in our heart, even though we say we don't need any of that stuff and that's old ancient hat, and yet the great novels, the great stories have the return of an ancient one to accomplish what no one else can seem to accomplish. Well, come, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing, Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Micah prophesied of this coming king in Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now, Bethlehem isn't a renowned city either. It's an obscure city too, but it is in prophecy. It is does have a history of King David living there and growing up there and being born there. It does have some history, but they are little, and they are little among the clans of Judah. And yet, Micah says, from you shall come forth for me, this is the Lord speaking, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, come, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And that's a wonder, like from of old, from ancient days. A king who will be a future king prophesying of this future king to come from Bethlehem, but will be from days of old, this ancient return of the king. What is this profound prophecy? Matthew says in Matthew 2, O you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Matthew says the arrival of the return of this ancient king is none other than Jesus born in Bethlehem. What kind of king will this be? A future king, a ruler, but who's come forth from of old. This future Return of the king will be an ancient king, one who is ruled with all power, and yet with all power will rule in perfect peace. This longing for this prince of peace, ruling with a government upon his shoulders that never comes to an end. This is the longing of the human heart. 
It longs within the memory trace in the minds of the world and even people in the world. It still echoes in the longing of the heart of humanity to have one who rules in righteousness and in peace and who has come from of old, from ancient of days. Everyone seems to remember in all these stories a golden age, a time when there was rule. And for the people of Israel, it was the time of the throne of David when he ruled and there was peace and there was prosperity. And especially in his uh, son, Solomon, there was this great prosperity that came out of this kingdom and this peace. There's this longing still there from this time forth and forevermore. Gabriel is announcing a child is to be born, a son to, is to be given who will rule with a government of peace. That's the kingdom. I think for us to understand kingdom, we need to understand a governor, a government. A kingdom is a king's dominion. It is a king ruling with a government. It is what this kingdom will be that will be and that will have no end. This was in Raphael's prayer this morning from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It says that a child is born, a son will be given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the focus here on this wonderful announcement from Isaiah 700 years before Jesus' arrival is on the, a government that will rest upon the shoulders and there will be peace. This is the Advent week of peace. This government, this kingdom that will have no end will be a government of peace. Verse 7, Isaiah emphasizes this, of the increase of his government. His governing will increase. It will continue to grow. It will never fade. It will never di- diminish. This voice of this ancient king's return will always echo throughout all the greatest stories, even in the stories that the worlds tell, of a hero returning to accomplish what humanity cannot accomplish on its own. This increase of his government and of peace. His government will be a government of peace. There will be no end, Isaiah says. This is what Gabriel is announcing. He will have a kingdom, Mary. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll deliver his people from his sins. And of that government, there will be no end. Of that kingdom, there will be no end. This time has come forth and will be forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Humanity can't accomplish it. The zeal, the passion, the story of God will accomplish this. It's the plan that the angels have longed to look into. That's the wonder of Christmas, is remembering that that longing can never end. His kingdom will increase. The kingdom of his government that is upon his shoulders, he is bringing about throughout this world, a world of peace, blind to most of the world, unseen. The church works underground in most countries and brings about the restoration of a relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins, through the simple man born coming from Nazareth, announced by angels to a peasant girl in an unknown town that Jesus is the answer for the sickness and poison of sin in this world. And he will rule, he will have a kingdom that there will be no end to it. 
It will grow. And his peace, the reuniting of man with God, bringing peace where hostility and wrath once existed. Now there is peace because of this king who's come and whose dominion will rule over sin and death itself. All that sin brought, including death. In our reading devotional book that we handed out last week, Matt Smithhurst uh, in The Weary World Rejoices, he talks about Jesus and this cost of peace will be a man suspended on Roman wood where he made peace between God and man. And in parentheses, he puts this scripture, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17, and I'd like us to ponder this cost that the prince of peace would pay for us to have peace. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace. There is no other peace outside of the prince of peace. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. This is about a peace between Jews and Gentiles, which is the whole rest of the world. Jesus' peace as the Prince of Peace, that he would rule over the house of Jacob from the throne of David forever, wouldn't just be about a Jewish Messiah ruling over a a Jewish people, although it is all of that. It's just more than that. It's bigger than that. It's to the whole Gentile world that he would unite in one a people for God both Jew and Gentile, through the blood of the Christ. See, the wonder of Christmas is always bigger than we can imagine. The imaginations of the heart of man aren't big enough to imagine the reconciliation of peace and the beauty of the Prince of Peace. It's just always bigger. Angels are always looking into the more, and we get to experience it with them in the wonder of Christmas. No other religion teaches anything like this. It does not teach a cross. It does not teach someone dying in our place. No other religion says that. No other religion has the grace of another being applied to the wickedness of humanity. It has you doing it through your own efforts somehow or some way or some means. No other religion teaches anything like the cross. Each one insists in some form or another that you must achieve the peace of God. You must do something in some semblance of uh, transcendental tranquility. It's your efforts that reach that point, which is always why it never happens. That's why it never happens. How could it? As a sinner, you are the problem in this equation. Not the solution. In Christianity, however, you can accomplish it 
because Jesus is the solution and you admit you're the problem. So for this Christmas, what does it mean that his name will be Jesus? He will be called Jesus. It means that he has the power to rescue you and set you free from the captivity of sin. It means that his kingdom will reign forever, of which the government of his peace, there will be no end. It will increase in you as a believer throughout your whole life and breath here on this earth. His kingdom will rule and reign until his return when he sets up his kingdom. That's the longing of Christmas, the longing of the Mashiach, the Messiah to come, and he has come, and the longing for his return, the return of the king, in which in part he accomplished at Christmas, in which he will culminate it all at the consummation of his return and the glorious return of Jesus' second coming. To know this God of peace, you must embrace the Prince of Peace. Here's our application. Receive the peace of God through trusting in Jesus. Not through your own efforts, through trusting in Jesus. Enjoy the peace of God this Christmas through following Jesus. Devote yourself to following the one who truly loves you. Spread the peace of God this Christmas season through proclaiming Jesus, announce with the angels the arrival of Jesus. There's this poem that ministered to me, I hope it does you, the poetry of of Samuel Rodegast, 1649 through 1708. What God ordains is always good. His will is just and holy. As he directs my life for me, I follow meek and lowly. My God, indeed, in every need, knows well how he will shield me. To him, then, I will yield me. What God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm, though many storms may gather. Now I may know both joy and woe, some day I shall see clearly that he has loved me dearly. What God ordains is always good, though I the cup am drinking, which savors now of bitterness, I take it without shrinking. For after grief God gives relief, my heart with comfort filling, and all my sorrows stilling. What God ordains is always good, This truth remains unshaken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, I shall not be forsaken. I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me. So to my God, I yield me. Let's yield ourselves like Mary did and say, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Amen. We're going to take communion together as we worship. And sing this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to come and worship the newborn king, amen? And in worshiping the king, I pray that maybe we see with renewed wonder and in a, a new depth 
into the meaning of Christmas. A newborn king with a kingdom of peace, of a government that will increase forever. Amen. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Let us partake together. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas, a season of celebrating your generous gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. May our focus be on him, the return of the King, our Lord and our Savior, who gave his body broken for us and shed his blood given for us. May we always remember his death and the cost of our peace until he returns. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
are blessed with the name of Jesus, the name above all names. You are blessed in Christ with a kingdom that will not end. Go and be lights into this world. In the dark places, proclaim Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another.